congregationalists consider defined in Lord's Day 40, Lord's Day 40 of the Heidelberg Catechism, page 76 in the back of your Psalter book. Question 105. What does God require in the Sixth Commandment? Answer that neither in thoughts, nor words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor, by myself or by another, but that I lay aside all desire of revenge, also that I hurt not myself, nor willfully expose myself to any danger, Therefore also the magistrate is armed with the sword to prevent murder. Question 106. But this commandment seems only to speak of murder. Answer. In forbidding murder, God teaches us that he abhors the, the causes thereof, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he accounts all these as murder. 107. But is it, not, is it enough that we do not kill any man in the manner mentioned above? No, for when God forbids envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness towards him, and prevent his hurt as much as in his lies, and that they do good even to our enemies. So far. The theme for this morning is violence forbidden. Violence forbidden. Four thoughts. Violence at heart. Why are people violent? What's the problem? What's behind it? And we will see that it's especially selfishness. Secondly, violence and abortion. I know we hear a lot about abortion, and sometimes people say it's enough. We have to keep reminding people. We should not get used to it. So a few thoughts in the second part about violence and abortion. In the third place, violence at home. In marriages, in relationships between parents and children, violence at home. A dad, a mom, a child can be so violent and ruin things at home. And the fourth place, violence on the cross. The Lord Jesus also experienced violence himself in order to save murderers. Violence forbidden, violence at heart, violence and abortion, violence at home, and violence on the cross. Congregation, children, we kill, don't we? We kill chicken and cows and pigs and turkeys. And we kill vermin, rats and mice. We, we kill all the time. Is that wrong to kill? Thou shalt not kill, the Lord said. So we may not kill those animals either. Well, when the Bible says thou shalt not kill, the word thou shalt not kill, Kill is a special word in the Bible. And that, 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 that means actually to murder. Thou shalt not murder. We don't murder a cow, do we? We kill it. We don't murder it. And the government also has a sword, and they use this certain type of violence, that's right, but they don't murder, they kill. Also in a war, there is also, there are also righteous wars. 
And then there is no murdering, but it's the time of killing. So there's a difference between killing people and killing animals. What's the difference, actually, between an animal and a human? Well, that is the key issue in the first one. Who are we? How do we view people? Do we view people as a result of evolution? Are they also a kind of animals? Believe in the time that animals are humanized and that babies in the womb are dehumanized. We need to realize that humans not only have a soul, also have a conscience, and also resemble somehow the Lord who made them. Whenever you look at a person and a human, you see something of God. You say, well, I see something of God also in insects. How they can fly, so small and still fly and able to reproduce and fertilize plants. That's also God. Yes, that's also made by the Lord. That's also wonderful that we see something of creation. But then the Lord made people. He made them in his image. He gave them understanding. He gave them to understand right and wrong. And they have also responsibility and duties. And they must obey the Lord. We read in Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him. It's, it's, it's repeated. In his image. So there is something in people of God. Although we fell in sin, although we lost the image of God in the widest sense, although we lost it in the sense of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, we miss that by nature. There's no knowledge of God, there's no righteousness, no holiness, so in that sense we lost the image of God, and still there is something left, something left of the image of the Almighty God. So therefore we read in Genesis 9, and surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast I require it. And at the hand of man. So when an animal, uh, a bull, kills someone, that bull needs to be killed as well. Because that is God's will. Your blood, surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast, but also at the hand of man. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Do you know the reason? That's again in Genesis 9. Whoso sheddeth Man's blood by man shall his blood be shed for, because in the image of God made he man. That's Genesis 9. So there's still the image of man. We did not completely lose it. We are still valuable and important. And that is why the government must protect life. That's why the government must bear the sword, for he bears not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon them that do with evil. It's also interesting what we read in Acts 17 about that. Acts 17 is that story again, right? of the Apostle Paul on Areopagus, on Mars Hill, because he had seen that temple for the unknown God, right? I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. 
And then the Apostle Paul went with them to Mars Hill and they asked him, what is that God you are preaching? And he, um, he wrote something. He said something. He says, for in him we live and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. We are the offspring of God. For as much as ye are, as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the God that is like to gold or silver or stone graven by art of man's device. So we are God's offspring. So animals are not. Animals are not made because image. And animals are not offspring of God. I know some celebrate dogs' birthdays. Can you believe it? Just recently noticed that from someone in Holland. It's the birthday of my dog. We invited all the other dogs in the area to come to the party. Cats sometimes receive a funeral. And they have a ceremony. Well, of course, we have to be um, cautious, and I don't want to be too hard on people that love their dog and that love their cat so deeply. It must be hard to lose it. I realize that. I'm also not in favor of animal cruelty at all. But sometimes we have to go too far. And animals are humanized as if they are on the same level, as if they are our babies. And then, what a contrast with them that abort babies. Proverbs 12, a righteous man regards the life of his beast. If, if someone is righteous and God-feeling, that makes someone meek, that makes someone cautious, that makes someone also humble. And you also deal in a different way with, with, with your cows, with, with, with your, your animals. So let me say that in a different way. If uh, a farmer is hard on his animals, too hard on his animals, kicking them and yelling at them, and, and he receives a new heart, and the Lord breaks that heart. And he begins to know himself, begins to understand who God is, and what sin is, and what grace is. You know what? He'll do it in a different way with his animals. The righteous man, the righteous man is doing that. The righteous man regards the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. The tender mercies, the so-called tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. People are, can be cruel to animals. Now I know we live in a time of people speaking about animal rights, right? Eventually that might go so far that animals, that you may not kill them at all anymore, that you may not hunt them anymore, and that you may not lock them up anymore. Because there is a movement, the animal rights movement, that goes quite far. Because they elevate animals to the same level as people, right? A bald eagle is worth more than an embryo. And even an old growth cedar tree is, first, in the eyes of some people, more important than a child. We think the other way. A child is worth so much more than, than any couple thousand year old tree. We see it also in Deuteronomy 25. Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. So when they had the corn, the corn means wheat, and they had the, all those kernels in the, in the chaviat, and then... Ox was threading it, 
separating the chaff from the kernels, from the seed, then it was not allowed to muzzle that animal so that he could eat. He had to be muzzle-free so he could eat freely of the corn that he was treading. That's the Bible. Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth the corn. Jacob in Genesis 33 also speaks about his animals. And he said unto Esau, My Lord, knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and herds with young are with me. And if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. So there's not overdrive them. There's not asked too much of those animals. There's not asked too much of those, of those lambs. You have to be careful with it. Or jo- Jonah 4, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between the right hand and the left hand, and also much cattle? So animals are important in the Bible, but not humans. Violence at heart. Violence at heart is especially murdering and taking the life of them that are created in God's image and are still, in spite of our deep foul, people with a conscience. Let's go to the second thought. Violence and abortion. As I said in my introduction, we have talked about that a lot, although it's a while ago that I touched on this. We all know it's wrong, but let us just refresh it a little because it's becoming more important again in the United States and also in our country. People are so warped in their thinking, and we have we, we, he, he's so much influence, we have, we have so much influence on them that our young people need to be reminded, and also all of us need, need, need to be reminded what abortion actually is about. It is taking the life of someone who is made in God's image. Right? God's image. Image bearers of God. And we believe that humans are humans from the very beginning, from conception from the melting of the egg cell and the seed, when there is that embryo, even before it has nestled in the uterus lining, even before that, at the very beginning of the melting together, it's, 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 it's a human, not a human cell, it's, it's a human. That's why we have also serious thoughts about the morning after pill. Because if the morning after just gets rid of that fertilized egg, right? Although it has not nestled yet, it's taking the life. But why are those cells and, and humans already? Are they not just pre-humans? Are they persons at all? Well, can someone who is not a person be a sinner? Can someone who is not a person be a sinner? You say, an angel, right? So angels and people can sin. And we read in the Bible that David says that from the very beginning he was a sinner. So from the very beginning he was a person. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In sin, my mother conceived me. It was not that she was a sinner, did something sinful. No, that when he was made in secret, Psalm 139, that he was a sinner from the very beginning. So he was a person. Not at six weeks. 
not when there is a heartbeat detected. But before that, right? From the very, very beginning. It's remarkable that Isaiah and Jeremiah also talk about that. They both refer to the fact that they were chosen to be prophets before they were born. Isaiah 49, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord has called me from the womb, from my bowels of my mother, as he made mention of my name. So from the bowels of his mother, God knew his name. He was a person in, the, in, in his mother's womb. The Lord had, Lord had chosen him. But Jeremiah 1, verse 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So Jeremiah also, before he was born, he was called as a prophet, and the Lord knew him. Is not the same true for the Lord Jesus and for John the Baptist? Was John the Baptist not alive, spiritually alive, before he was born? For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. He was filled with the Holy Ghost before his mother's womb. From his mother's womb. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Also, the same thing that is about the Lord Jesus, not about John, that's about Jesus. And of course, you know Psalm 139, right? For thou hast possessed my reins, reins are kidneys. So the Lord says, I possess your reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And then my soul knoweth right well. So it's interesting that the word brephos, the word Greek word brephos for child, is used for children in daily life, but also used for John the Baptist in the womb. And came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary that the babe, the babe, the word babe is brephos, sometimes translated as child. Whatever babe or child. So not, not a lump of cells, but a person was leaping in the womb. There was, there was a baby, there was a child in the womb of Elizabeth. In the Bible, <clears throat> unborn children are persons. And that's why we are pro-life and not pro-death, and certainly not pro-choice. Pro-choice is a euphemism. A euphemism is, a, is an expression to soften things up. It's, it's deceiving. Pro-choice is deceiving. And we've recently heard also the Vice President of the United States saying, how dare they, right? How, how dare they to take the rights of women? How, did they, how, how do they dare to, to decide on what only, what only the mother can decide about her own body? What? Really? When you say that, you must be so far off, so brainwashed, it's unreal. Because that baby in the mother's womb is not just her. It's a different person. It's not her. 
so she has no right over that person. If it will be hers, it would also be the father's right. In a way, it's also the father's child, not only her child. But although it is her child and the father's child, in a sense, we cannot just kill a baby and kill a child because the parents agree on that. So the child in the womb is, in fact, a different person and God's creation and made in God's image and we have to keep the child safe. It's not ours. Therefore we insist it is not about their bodies of the women that are being pregnant. It's not their bodies. It's about the bodies and babies in their body, in their body. And the body in them is as much the child of the father, of the father of the child. And the children in the womb are also in a sense God's creation. The Lord owns them. And even the mothers don't own their own body, do they? So we have no right. And though the mothers don't have special rights either to kill babies. Let us not make ourselves any illusions as if this is not happening in reform circles. I've talked to traumatized grandparents who, well, who live with the thoughts that they have killed their grandchild. By, by encouraging their daughter go for abortion. Nobody should know. Shame. The shame of my daughter having a child in a wedlock. Just get rid of the child. Let's kill it. And then having to live with that for the rest of your life. It's awful. I talk to people like that. Members of our congregations. This, this, this shame. You know, the estimation is that, this, that abortion is happening 74 million times a year in the world. That's unreal. What the, the time we live in. Now we know that both things, some of the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the world may become guilty before God. Why do, why do I quote the text? Well, some say, Minister, you're not consistent. The Lord has, is also killing people. In wars and in different ways, so there are also wars in Israel. There were wars in Israel. They killed the Canaanites and the Pharisees and the Hittites. So the Lord is doing it himself. The difference is this. God has the right to do that. He's gone. And secondly... Nobody deserves life. So when the Lord is commanding Israel to kill certain tribes and certain people, the Lord had a court case ready in heaven. And the Lord said this is the just judgment of this people at this time. So the Lord can judge that. He's the sovereign one. He's a fair one. He does not make any mistakes. <clears throat> and he is <clears throat> he's eventually ending the life of every one of us. And for that reason, our mouth must be stopped. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Violence at heart. Violence at 
and abortion. Let's go to the next part. Congregation, it's easy to agree on abortion and things like that, and we should not murder. We are all against terrorism. But what if we come closer to home? Our catechism speaks about the sixth commandment, also in sense of that I should not dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor. That's also your own family included. Not only forbidding murder, but also hatred, anger, and desire, revenge. And it's also at home, right? Is it enough that we do not kill any man in the manner of mentioned above? And then we see that God forbids envy, hatred, anger, and commands us to love our neighbor, also our family, as ourselves, and to show patience in the family and peace and meekness and mercy and our kindness in the family as well. So let us focus on that in the third thought. Violence at home. Each member of a family should be treated best by those in the same family. Each member of a family should be treated best by those in the same family. Spouses, children should never have to worry about the hostility of an out-of-control family member who starts raving and ranting, ranting and just knocking holes in the wall and throwing things. There's violence too, right? Spouses and children should never have to worry about that. They don't have to worry about it. They should not see it, but also not worry about it. It should be a safe place at home. Someone raving and ranting and threatening and damaging and throwing stuff around is a sin against the sixth commandment. Well, someone said, but she drives me bonkers. And that's why I'm doing that. You know, there's no reason. There's no reason ever to become violent. You don't have to become violent. Verbal threats and physical aggression have especially no place in the relationship with those we love the most. There's no place there. A family member should never have to walk in fear of outbursts of anger and tiptoe around mom or tiptoe around dad or tiptoe around brother. Oh, when he gets... Take off, we all know it. So there's that fear in the family. Because it's not only that the person once in a while gets out of hand and becomes violent, but, but if it has happened, there's the fear that happens again. And the fear is that daily. So we should bridle our selfishness and look first to the interest and well-being of the others in the family. We are called to care, to love, to protect, and not to hurt. And children should feel loved even when disciplined. Even when Dad is disappointed. They should not feel hated. They, they should not feel threatened. They should not feel fear. They, they should 
not see ice cold eyes. They should never feel hated. So parents must discipline without hatred and make sure that the children don't interpret this as hatred. Philippians 2 verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. So when you are clashing as husband and wife, you're clashing, that vain glory is in the way. We need that lowliness of mind and that esteeming the other higher than self that would increase the quality of family life. But I would have you without carefulness he that is unmarried care for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but he that is married care for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. So you're called to please your wife and to please your husband. And it's not just about physical violence, the creation of fear and insecurity through harsh and critical words is never acceptable. Swearing, name-calling, belittling. Belittle your husband. Belittle your wife. Belittle your child. Belittle your dad. Threatening. It's not right. Thou shalt not kill. And words, also words, can kind of kill and do harm, real harm. There are many examples of people being bullied in school who have lifelong suffering from that. And people also at home can have traumatic experiences. And it's not less dangerous than physical hostility and cruelty. Not less dangerous. So your tone... And words matter. You know, when you disagree, it's fine. When you just don't like something and you'd like to express your feelings, do so. But you also should have that atmosphere in the home that you can disagree. You should have the atmosphere in the home that you can say what you feel. And if you don't have that freedom that to, 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 to express yourself, that's Damaging. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So let's not forget, once the line of physical harm has been crossed, there's always going to be the fear whether or not the physical abuse will happen again. One incident can ruin things for life. So there should be freedom to share, to discuss, to disagree, to respectfully disagree. There should be a, a possibility to have discussion without anger. You know, some people, when they disagree, they right away are hot. Right, right away are, have a temper. They cannot just kindly and respectfully disagree. Why not? Disagree in a kind way. Also in true things. Disagree in a kind way, not in an angry way. So even when people make mistakes, your husband made a mistake, your wife made a mistake, you disagree on that, you want to say something, say something. But it should also be an atmosphere that you can say something. 
So therefore, we also need to be open-minded and to let people disagree with you. But the background of the violence also at home is selfishness. Angry outbursts are pure self-centeredness. If you're not so self-centered, you wouldn't be so angry. The angriest people are the most selfish people. They don't realize that. But it's true. So why is that? Well, why do you get so angry? Because you don't get it your way. Because people don't agree with you. Because you feel that you don't count. So anger is always rooted in selfishness. I mean, sinful anger. There's also just anger. But we talk about now the anger of retaliation, the anger of hatred in there. So threats, coercion, pressure, force in marriage, and never acceptable avenues for getting people to do what you want. Each person deserves to express his or her free will. Selfishness is what drives the need to control. And the majority of the fights and aggressions are driven by that selfishness. You want something for yourself. You feel sorry for yourself. You feel embarrassed. It's all about you. From whence, from whence come wars and fightings among you? What is the root? Come they not even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and you decide to have and you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. See? But are there no mitigating circumstances then? There is no justification for any form of threat, hostility, or pressure. Domestic abuse is wrong and punishable by the law even. The aggressive person cannot blame others, either in their past or present. We love to blame, don't we? We, we all have that selfishness, don't we? That's why there's anger. Unjust anger. You love to blame. And any attempt to transfer responsibility for anger or aggression to someone else, saying, they pushed my buttons, is unacceptable. There's no defense of that. So we are responsible for our own behavior, period. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, also do ye. And above all things, put on charity, which is the bond, the bond of perfection. And put on the garment of humility. But as I said, anger is not always wrong. But any angry actions are. If you act in an angry way. Because anger is a combination of things. 
Angus in a way also being upset and hurt and disagree and strongly disagree and being disgusted and that is often okay. But the, the difficult part is revenge, hatred in it. There is such a thing as righteous anger. This is when you are challenging a sense of injustice. When someone isn't being treated fairly and it's natural to be disturbed, especially if it is you. And the difference. You can be angry at wrongdoing, but still not trash others. Right? You can be angry at something without trashing. Vengeance is not yours today. Be angry, Ephesians 4, be angry and sin not. See that that is being upset and disturbed, but Synod. Synod means don't go too far. But keep in mind that God can change angry persons. Change is possible. You can't break out of your own cycle of abuse. You need his help, his strength. And deliverance. So you need to begin with confessing it to the Lord. And maybe also confessing it or apologizing to your husband or wife or father. To unconditionally apologize. That was wrong of me. I went too far. I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? No, no, no explanation. Yeah, because my past with the president or this was bothering me or was stressed or had a jet lag or no, nothing. Trust in the Lord with thine heart, with all the heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Violence at home. Oh, last thought, a few minutes. Violence on the cross. If you have experienced anger of others and you have to tiptoe around your wife, your husband, your father, that's not easy. But don't retaliate. Don't hate. He is hating. She is hating. I know. You don't hate. You give it in the hands of the the Lord. uh, Revenge is his. And he will deal with that. He is a righteous. He is a holy God. You don't have to take care of that. You may have to report things to the police. You may have to just... Right. You may have to, if it is really bad. Maybe you need also help, you need to ask for help. But at the same time, you have to forgive. And there is also forgiveness for you, if you have been so angry. And if you get out of control once in a while, not too often, but once in a while. And that once in a while just ruins the whole atmosphere. Is forgiveness. Because the Lord Jesus hang on the cross between two murderers, by the way, and people angry with him, very angry with him, crucify him, crucify him. They hated him. And he, he prayed, Father, forgive them, but they don't know what they're doing. So, Ask forgiveness for your mom. Ask forgiveness for your dad. Do what's right. Protect yourself. 
You, you have to do, to do what's right. Protecting yourself. You have to protect yourself. Do you hear me? At the same time, forgive. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him, led us to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were being men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. You know, they, uh, Saul was not such a nice man. He was threatening and slaughtering and killing people, I understand. And the Lord stopped him, changed him, converted him. He became a very loving person. Is that still possible? So if you feel convicted about this, do you say, you know, I'm, I'm a traditional person. I don't do this. I don't bear that. I don't watch this. I, 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 I agree with the whole doctrine of the NRC. And, and, and I am convinced about those lifestyle issues. But you are so angry once in a while. It doesn't fit. It doesn't matter. You can be so hard on sins of others. What about that sin of anger in your heart? That threatening and making life difficult for others. So I hope that you, own, that you don't only think, oh, those abortionists, oh, they're killing babies. Right. That is awful. But what are you doing with your behavior at home? Forgiveness within that he may be feared. Violence forbidden. Violence at heart, violence and abortion, violence at home, violence on the cross. May the Lord bring us to that place that he as murderers and violent persons convicted and being humbled come to the cross and believe in that meek, kind, loving Lord Jesus. Amen.